Hello, and welcome to The Director's Cut, a brand new podcast brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. The Guild was formed in 1936 to protect the economic and creative rights of film directors in Hollywood, and has been committed to upholding those core values ever since. A long-standing tradition of the Guild is for its members to share the knowledge of their craft with future generations. And beginning this fall, we're bringing the insights of today's best directors to you. So please join us this season, as every week we will feature a new in-depth interview with a director of one of today's most talked-about films. Each interview is conducted by a fellow director, which allows for honest and revealing discussions about the trials, tribulations, and bittersweet victories that come from leading a crew towards a singular creative vision. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or our SoundCloud page, and we hope that you join us each week for new episodes as our members discuss how they do what they do and tell the stories that you cannot find anywhere else. For our first episode, we're going to start at the top. Any film fan knows the names of Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese. Both filmmakers have been directing beloved films for decades, with Mr. Spielberg's blockbuster hits like Jaws and Raiders of the Lost Ark and Mr. Scorsese's gritty stories of the criminal underworld in Goodfellas and The Departed. The two may seem to represent the opposing coasts of American filmmaking, but you might not know that they have been friends and creative consultants for over 40 years. And the Directors Guild is where these two great cinematic masters can discuss their craft in front of an audience of their peers. What brought them together on this occasion is Mr. Spielberg's newest film, Bridge of Spies. The historical drama tells the amazing true story of James Donovan, played by Tom Hanks, a New York lawyer who accepts the unenviable task of defending Rudolf Abel, a Russian spy captured in America in 1957. After Abel's trial, Donovan's task becomes even more complicated as he is drafted by the CIA to negotiate the release of U.S. pilot Francis Gary Powers, who was shot down over the Soviet Union during a mission in his U-2 spy plane, and for whom the Soviets may be willing to exchange their man, Abel. In this intimate setting, the directors talk about their shared memories of the real incidents portrayed in the film, the challenges of visually portraying a story with lots of important dialogue, and why Mr. Spielberg changed the first scene of the film from the script. They also debate the best place for tacos when filming in Queens. We hope you enjoy listening to Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese on stage together. Thank you. So, I, yeah, I was taking a nap before all this. <laughs> I am so awake now. Thank you. Well, I saw the picture twice now. Twice? Yeah. Yeah. I like watching it. Well, we're going to be here for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, it just, I, I looked at it again Saturday and really, um, really enjoyed the film uh, so much. Uh, yeah, really. And, and uh, I, I guess I should just ask you, of course, to give us a little bit of a background as to what drew you to the story, you know, to right. give, us, give us a sense of how it came about. Well, I, I knew nothing about the story at all uh, two years ago. I knew about Gary Powers because that was I was 13 when he was shot down, and and that was the biggest news story, and everybody was talking about it that he was, uh, you know, he was a prisoner uh, behind the Iron Curtain. But I didn't know about this story at all. And uh, a young British playwright, Matt Charman, had uh, been uh, researching uh, this, the Gleenacre Bridge, the spy swap on Gleenacre Bridge, and he found an entire paper trail starting with James B. Donovan's work with John Ford and George Stevens because the three of them uh, compiled a documentary on the death camps uh, in uh, Germany yeah. and Poland 
and put a hour-long documentary together, showed it at the Nuremberg war crime trials. Right. And um, and and James Donovan has a huge screen credit, which yes. basically says, you know, you know, um, oh. legal supervision by James B. Donovan. Yeah, is that the one that was shown on TCM a few weeks that, ago? That wasn't Nazi, shown. That, the, the Nazi, the Nazi plan. plan was shown, yeah, and he it. was involved in that, but this is a second documentary that TCM can't show. It's the most graphic Holocaust yeah, yeah, footage yeah, um, yeah. known. So he was very intrigued with this, and he followed the paper trail from Nuremberg to uh, Donovan's work as uh, representing in, you know, insurance companies with this law firm. And uh, and put together the story, and then told me the story. And the first thing I I, I did was, you know, I, I doubted the credibility of the story. It, it sounded right. like everybody should have known a story like this. But when right. we all dug deeper into it, it turned out to be absolutely uh, true. I mean, what's interesting to me, what's fascinating, is that uh, Abel and uh, Donovan, um, they both are men who stand up for what they believe in, right? And um, there's obviously the respect between the two of them. Um, and um, I just feel that uh, it reminds me in the great tradition thereof of what we thought of in the older films before the 19, before this happened in 57, sort of um, uh, a respect between the enemies, like as in uh, oh, Von Stroheim and uh, uh, Pierre Freinet in uh, uh, Grand Illusion. Or, or Kurt Jurgens and Robert Mitchum in The Enemy Below. The Enemy Below, or or the you know, the 1916 um, um, uh, World War One truce, or even in War Horse when they, fit, when they let the horse right, go. I mean, did that come into play a great deal for you in, the, in terms of the story? Well, it was just that, that in, 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 uh, in the facts of life, uh, Donovan developed a fondness for Abel. Abel was a man of the arts. He was a painter. He played classical guitar. He spoke several languages. And he was absolutely um, um, apolitical. Meaning he didn't, uh, he he wasn't uh, he wasn't spouting, you know, uh, communist rhetoric. He wasn't. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. He certainly wasn't admitting what he had done. But he also uh, there was no undercurrent of animus at all. Interesting. And he had been embedded in this country by the Soviet Union, who, by the way, never acknowledged he was a spy. The Soviet Union never did. Even today, they they don't. But um, he was embedded 15 years in America, and he really thought that when there were people that needed to identify him, that they would not be able to find anybody who would recognize him 50 years later. He was really worried about that on wow. the bridge. Yeah. You know, but Donovan and Abel had a relationship, and we, and you know, and I, you know, and, and I so enjoyed working with Tom and Mark, Mark Rylance and Tom Hanks, in all those scenes together, that I had to put on the brakes, because I wanted Matt Sharman and Joel and Ethan Cohen, who wrote all the subsequent drafts and went, took it very, very deep, um, I wanted more scenes between them, but then I yeah. realized if I had more scenes between them, when they finally get to the bridge after a great absence in two shots, right? Uh, it wouldn't have the impact that it has when you haven't seen the characters on screen for Together. a long time. Yeah, yeah. 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 I was going to ask you about uh, working with um, um, the, the Coens, uh, Joel and Ethan, who I might uh, remind everyone is from NYU. <laughs> 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 but um, you brought them in, and I, it, for me, it's like when the first scene with uh, Tom and the other guy, and he's talking about that's not my guy. That's Joel and Ethan. It's, yeah. it's very, yeah, it's yeah. very much that, and it really is wonderful uh, how yeah. that carries through. That's that's when Tom committed to the movie. 
Ah. He he and he he said he wanted to call me after page six, but he didn't <laughs> because the the movie originally opened with that scene, and then I actually took that scene, which was the first thing I shot with Tom, and I moved it because I wanted I, I I had an afterthought that we should should start the film with um I wanted to start the movie with a reflection because I think uh, Spycraft is about. Uh, what's what's true and what's false is the reflection of the mirror of rudolph abel is that the truth of abel or is abel painting his his uh, you know understanding of what he looks like as a portrait artist doing a self-portrait is that the truth and so i just came up with this mirror shot to open the picture and when i shot that i i thought we should actually open the picture with that and following and the apprehension of abel and then go to the uh donovan character in that first scene and that was the first scene after page five he Tom Hanks read the scene and just that's he said I know who this guy is yeah. I know how to play him. yeah no but you see that's what's interesting uh, fascinating for me watch you, your work over the years is uh, it's the difference between um, uh, visual and, and literature you went for the visual for the opening you know oh, the oh, idea of oh, the right. image the reflection you see rather than a dialogue scene Oh yeah, if you as compare as the dialogue scene is. Look, you compare me with uh, you know literate and 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 cinema. I am illiterate. No, no, I know I, I, what I mean is yes, if, exactly. You know what I exactly. mean? If, no, but there's a tendency <laughs> to say if the lines are great and the actors are great, well, that's the movie. Well, it's a certain kind of movie. It's not every movie, but if you can think visually, if you can interpret the the theme of the picture visually, and even if it isn't. Uh, directly obvious. That's one of the reasons I watched the picture a couple of times because these images stay with you um, before these guys get out of the car and all that stuff. Yeah. This guy's painting and doing what is that? Well, That's you know the, the image that comes to mind that I'll never forget is out of Raging Bull with the with with the, with the uh, the rope oh, oh, and the, the, blood. the blood just that yeah. that macro close up of the. Just blood dripping from the yeah, rope. Yeah. You know, he didn't have. You know, that said everything. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. you know, I ha- came up with a shot on the day. Because I saw all these uh, uh, papar- not paparazzi, but they were in those days paparazzi before the name was was known here, and they were taking all the pictures of Abel and yeah. and, and Donovan and his yeah. wife and yeah. and and yeah. Alan Alda playing Waters, and I watched them popping their flash bulbs out to read their flash bulbs, That's and they were great. hitting the ground. And I remember wow. as a kid, yeah, you know, seeing flash bulbs all over the ground. So I yeah. I threw the camera on the ground, That's great, and just yeah. got one shot of their feet walking over the yeah. flash bulbs. Yeah. yeah, but but that's the great thing about directing that you that, that you can have tremendous respect for the written word and you and and I, and mm-hmm. I do and I've mm-hmm. recently been I've had tremendous collaborations with you know um you know Matt Sharman and and, and the Cohen brothers and and certainly Tony Kushner and Tom Stoppard yes, the written yes, word is everything we can't do anything without a without it, something yeah. on paper but where you insinuate the camera and where yeah, you can sneak yeah. the cinema in on yeah. a word heavy yeah. film is is a real challenge that's extraordinary that is true like uh, it's a dialogue scene sometimes that is really, as you say, word heavy. You know, it's the old story. It's only one position for the camera. Well, where the hell is it? Yeah. You know? <laughs> but it, it is a matter, though, of uh, natural visual thinking. And that's what's, I think, what makes this picture so viewable, so watch, you know, watchable. You know, if, if, if I didn't have strong performances, I would have shot everything in singles. Mm. Because then I, then I can make the performances better in the cutting room. But mm-hmm. when you've got great actors, I don't need the close-ups because yeah. everybody here can be the film editor. You can yeah. just sit here and watch the movie and decide who to look at. So when I had Mark Rylance in that first oh, scene with Tom Hanks, yeah. putting the camera, where to put the camera was easy. Yeah. Just yeah. put it where you can watch them both at the well, same time. you can time. see the two of them, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's also true that cinema is also a person, a medium shot or a close-up of a person right. speaking. Right. You know? um, but again, it's the use of light behind them, mm-hmm. the window. 
Mm-hmm. And that glowing light that you have there. Well, that's uh, Janusz Kaminski. Yeah, 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 extraordinary, I think. Younger people don't realize the uh, the 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 mood of the time. Um, uh, right. the and paranoia. I love the I love the cop says to him, "I was yeah. third wave on Omaha Beach." And yeah. I said, "Tom, tell him you were in the first wave." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the other guy say, "Would you please go, go, please, right. officer?" Oh man! But they're shooting in the guy's house. Yeah, yeah, that really happened. Um, but oh. but I, you know, the movie it, the movie's a true story. I didn't say a true story because we took license with some of the drama. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, they shot Donovan's house, but Donovan had just moved from the house into an apartment. Oh. And I wanted to keep him in them in the house. It was much more American. It just felt more familiar to keep them in a home, not an apartment. And the second thing was they shot up the house, but only one bullet made it through the window. And, of course, me, I put five through the window. Well, you have to do a few more. Yeah, you have to do a few more, Steve. You got to do... You would have done a few more. No, I would have done a few more. I would have, yeah. I would have done a little more. But, you know, I mean, he moved. They still shot at him. I don't care where he moved. I'm, I'm serious. It doesn't matter. Well, he moved to an apartment. Big deal. They're still shooting the house. What if he'd been in there? What if his kids were, God forbid? You know, I mean, all that. Well, the daughter, we, I had lunch with the daughter, Mary Ellen, the youngest daughter. She yeah. said the bullet came through the window and just missed her. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And it's great putting 77 Sunset Strip on the uh, TV. It was, it, listen, I watched that show constantly. That and Maverick. Oh, Maverick. Well, but 77 had uh, Ed Kookie Burns. Uh, get, lend me your comb, Kooky. Lend me your comb. Remember the song? Yeah, yeah it was a big deal. Yeah. I, I, this was the I, 50s, I'm looking guys. around. I don't think a lot of people remember that right here. <laughs> this was the 50s. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, uh, talk about the, the, the Berlin sequences are absolutely gorgeous. Oh, I mean, you. the way it's done. Um, we shot that in Berlin and uh, 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 Breslau, Poland, just on the wow. German-Polish uh, border. The staging of some of those scenes, like the building of the wall and uh, those kids going over the, uh, which is one of the great shots, really. The kids running through the, 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 to the wall and climbing over and getting shot down. Yeah. And the, it's really the shot of uh, Tom looking out the window and then he's on the right of frame and then he sits down after they're shot and he goes into darkness. Yes. You know? Oh, yeah. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what, I said, wow, look at that. That's right. <laughs> Wow, that's great. But the look on his face and everybody in the, in the train, that's the train, that train, just let me ask you, yeah. that's the train, if you were on that train, it was okay to go through the uh, different oh, yeah. sections? Yeah. I see. Uh, you know, a lot, Americans could get a double, they could get a two-way ticket, but yeah. the GDR so hassled him and gave him such a hard time because the GDR, the German Democratic Republic, wanted to be recognized as a nation state. Yes. They didn't want to be under the boot heel of, 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 of Khrushchev and what was going on in the Soviet Union. They kept sort of fighting for their own independence. And when they you know, captured the other American economic student, he was a political you know, you know, chip in order to get the Americans, or at least Donovan representing the Americans, to, to deal very seriously yeah. uh, and recognize them as a power to be reckoned with. Right. And that all happened. But it was interesting because it was very strange. We we did build the wall. We built it for blocks and blocks and blocks. That's None of that's digital work. When they're building the wall, that, that goes for, I don't know, a quarter mile or so yeah. all the way down the street. And, um, and we were building the wall, and we were shooting those scenes three days before the 25th anniversary of the wall coming down. Oh, God. It's great. Which was very interesting great. and very emotional for the German crew and for everybody working on the film, especially some of the older crew members yeah. who really had, uh, you know, it ha- for them it happened yesterday. 
Yeah. The wall yeah, going yeah, up. Yeah. Uh, the soldiers playing. I mean, those guys. Were they uh, German actors or or uh, They're all Polish? German actors. Because yeah. when he, uh, the ones who stopped him, when he's saying, bitte, I have the... Yeah, well, know, Donovan, spoke, Donovan spoke just enough German because Donovan learned his German in, in the United States uh, uh, Naval Reserve uh, when he was working on the Nuremberg case. Ah, yeah. So he learned just enough German during Nuremberg that he was able to kind of, and he did that, he actually did that. If you read Donovan's memoirs, he started at the back of the line, he looked at his watch, I'm late for the, I, I don't even know where the KGB headquarters <laughs> is, but I gotta find it, I need time to find it. And he cut, took huge cut in line, got in big trouble for it. That's great. Because also when they finally says, okay, you can go, you know, and they look at him, and then he starts walking. Yeah. And there's like no direction anywhere, he doesn't know where exactly he's going. After all that commotion at, at the checkpoint, quote unquote, he starts walking and all these kids there and they got to give him his coat. He has to give his coat, you know, understandable. Um, you yeah, know, it's understandable. It's yeah. cold. Yeah, it's a good coat. And I didn't put subtitles in because I thought that um, it'd be scarier for all of us to be Donovan and to try to figure out just by what gesture and expression yeah. What, yeah. The, the, yeah. what was the, the tenor of that. Yes, of that's that, great. You know, yeah, that yeah, moment where yeah. it was dangerous and how yeah. dangerous could it have gotten and what did those, the German, those German kids really want? Yeah, and when the second time I watched it, um, I watched each cut and each frame on that, on that uh, the framing of each one and where the kids were in his position mm -hmm. and the, the scent, the tone of each line. And I wanted mm -hmm. to figure out when I figured out first time, when I, when I realized that they weren't going to hit him, but they needed, they, they, they wanted something. Yes. You know, and, and we realized it's the coat. Okay. Yes. But I had to figure it out like him, you know. Um, yeah. And he, you know, and he was, the first thing he, he said, I think the word is verlofen, lost. And, he, ah. and Tom said, I'm not sure anybody's going to understand what that is. So maybe I can also use some gestures to try to communicate with the yes. German kids. Yeah. So yeah. he did this with his hand. Tom, right. you know, did this, which sort of gives the indication that he was lost. So we helped it a little bit with the uh, international hand s sign. But, but it was, it's really interesting because the, it was so cold shooting this movie. It was so cold <laughs> shooting this film. You shot fast, huh? We shot fast. <laughs> uh, oh, my God, it was so cold. The only time we, we had to put breath in uh, that we got into the safe house. I wanted the safe house, house to be freezing. It was a real location. It was really cold. But once you get the lights on, you know, you turn on all the lights, you, you get into the set and you look at the set and you're the first on the set with the cameraman. I'm looking around and I can see my breath and I say, oh, great. Look, I, I took my phone out and backlit my breath so I, I made sure I could yeah, see it. Yeah. And then we, Giannis lit the set and the second the lights came on, the breath oh, went gone. away. it's gone. Yeah, I was wondering. And I, yeah. I, I think that the fakest digital stuff Look, we can create anything digitally, right? Except breath. Yeah. We can't do yeah. digital breath. Why yeah. is that? I don't know why that is. So I had this crazy idea. I said, why don't we do this? Let's get a couple of actors, not the principals, but get a couple of actors, teach them the dialogue, let them hear the lines spoken in their ears, put black masks over their faces mm -hmm. so only their lips are exposed, and then backlight the breath, and then let them do all the dialogue. So the breath you see in the safe house is actually breath coming from That's an understudy's lips. I wondered how you did that. I said, don't tell me you did the old Billy Friedkin, The Exorcist, you went into a meat locker. No, we didn't no. go to a meat locker. No, it was it was a meat locker when we got there, and then the lights, and then the lights went on, yeah. made it into a nice, comfortable uh, habitat. No, but all the, and that was an actual location, because that room is really something. When he said, well, looking at the place, said, uh, where are you going to be? He said, I'm going to be at the Hilton. <laughs> Great, thanks, you know. 
Um, well, I think the way Hanks takes that moment. Oh, it's great. He says, I'm going to be at the Hilton, and Tom just looks at looks him. Looks at him. He doesn't yeah. do anything, just looks at yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you had a lot of, uh, the, the, the production design I thought was quite beautiful. Yeah, Adam Stockhausen. Really. Yeah. Adam yeah. does all of Wes Anderson's movies. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, because also it had a design to it. I mean, it had a certain look, you know, um, uh, linear, uh, kind of... Um, uh, uh, Mondrian kind of feeling to yeah. it, I thought. Um, but um, I did see you had to do it, though. You had uh -oh. to do it. You had to do it. What was that? The movies. Yes. Yeah. One, two, yeah. three. Well, Eins, zwei, drei. Eins, zwei, drei. And Spartacus. Yes. He couldn't resist. The man's making a phone call. He's got to get his whole story going on. You got to go to Spartacus. <laughs> I said, look, I told Francesca, look, that's Spartacus. <laughs> well, it's good because Brian Cranston's playing Dalton Trumbo, so it's for them too. Perfect, that's right. You know, the, I told Kirk Douglas that I said, Kirk, you got to go see the movie because uh, I acknowledge Spartacus in the movie. I won't tell you where, you have to find it. <laughs> This is a spy movie, but it's not a spy movie. It's about spycraft, but it's more about the art of conversation. It's about wordcraft, really, yes. yeah. and and how things can be settled, you know, in a in, in a very very civilized way. Mm -hmm. If you've got an ethical principled man who's determined to mm -hmm. do something, mm -hmm. determined even to when you when you take ethics and ambition, you combine them. That's who James Donovan was: ethics, yeah. ambition, yeah. and he wants two for one. Everything's yeah. two for one. Yeah. So. Um, so in, in doing all this, one of the things that was important to Joel and Ethan and certainly Matt Sharman was we didn't want to show around the next corner. I love movies where you can see around the next corner. And, and when we get to the corner you would hope for, you feel, we all feel good about ourselves because the movie, basically, we got to predict what was going to happen next. Right. You don't want to do that in a Hitchcock film, right. but you do want to sort of do that in spy movies. We didn't want to do that in this one. Um, and we also didn't want to have a bunch of uh, trapdoors or red herring, you know, dead ends, right. which is kind of frustrating. It works in The Spy Who Came From The Cold, which is my favorite. Wonderful, yes. My favorite Marty spy Ritz movie film. of all yeah, time. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, but um, so I think what what we did was I wanted the, the New York portion of the movie to be very much like, you know, with more colors. Just to feel more alive, more like mm -hmm. Look Magazine, mm -hmm. like like that's Life what magazine. I mean about the design of it. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. you know the Rockwellian, not yes. really uh, exaggerating or pushing Rockwell too much, but just more and more more colors. And then uh, the second part of the movie, and I decided to fade out the American part, so the, it fades out and fades back in on Berlin, and then the entire color palette changes. Yeah, to what you'd expect to be, you know, cold and dreary and yes. blue and overcast yeah. And, yeah. and very oppressive. Um, and the reason I wanted to do that was to try to get everybody to understand what it felt like in Donovan's shoes. Yeah. To go from that very warm, you know, American right. safe, protected by all of the laws of the land, into mm -hmm. a place that was like a, a frontier town of really? Eastern, yeah. of Eastern yeah. Berlin. You feel it. You feel it. You feel it. I mean, uh, uh, you get. It. I mean, sure, from his law office, from his uh, his house, everything. And then, you know, that's why later on when he shows up for the breakfast at the Hilton. It's glorious. The Hilton is glorious. Orange and purple and I don't know. No, orange and blue, right? Orange and turquoise. It was orange yeah. and blue. It's yeah. wonderful. You know, um, the U2 plane itself, yeah. you, you told me, where did you shoot that now? And uh, give a little idea we, what the planes are like. Right. We shot that at Beale Air Force Base. The U2 program is still uh, an active program. And, and I don't know how many U2s there are at the base they, that was classified, but they allowed us to use... A vintage U2, but it had been painted black. 
and we didn't have the budget to paint it silver the way it was in real life. Oh, cool. the, the YouTubes were all silver. It didn't make sense because it made more sense they should paint them black, black. but they yeah, painted like the them stealth. silver then. You know. Yeah. And uh, but but it, we actually flew for us. They landed it and took it off several times, and it was amazing to be in the chase car with three cameras in the chase car. Yeah. We were moving as fast as the U2 taking off. So all wow. those shots are no digital work. The only digital work that we do is, of course, when the when the U2 shot down. Yes, but um, is, uh, all the takeoffs and everything around the actual airplane is yeah. real. And yeah. it's so funny. I'm here here explaining to everybody. I'm saying, please believe it's real. I know it's. Yeah. And is there? Is, yeah. Is yeah. there? Is yeah. a day going to come? Marty, and you're more apt to do this than I am, but is a day going to come where you make a movie and it's so visually spectacular that you have to actually advertise that there's no visual there's no shots in the movie, no, <laughs> no digital shots in the entire picture? There, there might be. There yeah. might be. It's, it's, like the the it's like the anti-color by Technicolor. I know. In Cinemascope. Yeah. In Super Panavision 70. Yeah. Yeah. No digital shots <laughs> in the film. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. I mean, I've just been back from Taipei. Uh, you know, um, you're saying that the locations were so spectacular that you were worried that people wouldn't believe that they they're were not going to believe. Yeah, caught on film. Absolutely, absolutely not. And that we got up there in the first place, in some of those places. But um, you know, I could interview him. No, no, no you, you have to first understand. We met in 1967. Yes, yeah, right. That's yeah. when we first met. Marty had made a film about a guy who gets a very close shave. The big shave. The big shave. <laughs> and Vernon Zimmerman showed the film Vernon, on yeah. his wall in that's 16 right. millimeter yep. and invited me over and that's when you and I first met. And you, what was the film again? The, the thriller, the one you did, the black and white? Encounter. Six, yeah, that's it, The Encounter, yeah. 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 And that's when we first started hanging out. We did. We yeah. I, I showed you Encounter. You showed me the big shave, and that was the big. That it was, was a it. beautiful love story. And we'd always, so, yep. Yeah, no, but we'd always like, and then other people come around, but we'd always sort of gravitate. Hey, did you see this film? What about that? Do you remember that guy and this sort of? And we'd be really into it all the time. Other people sort of came and go. Can, can, can I tell my taxi driver story? Sure. Okay. I don't know which one. Well, <laughs> Marty, Marty um, used to used to become quite apoplectic, especially with studio people. Um, um, like all the all the classic directors that we all have learned so much from, yeah. and um, and they uh, Marty said I'm having a big problem. You got to come look at the last scene. I hadn't didn't see hadn't seen any of the movie. You didn't show me the movie. You had me come to the cutting room. Marsha Lucas was cutting with you, and you said I just want to show you the shootout at the end. Yeah, and actually you helped with one of the cuts. I was having a problem with. I told Susan Lacey the other day there was a cut guy with the glasses. They got shot, and I said I can't make this thing work. He said do this and that. And it worked. It was on Moviola, actually. It was on Moviola then. So Marty shows me the sequence, which is, with no context, with nothing coming before that scene, I was completely gobsmacked. It was absolutely astonishing. And Marty said, okay, I showed it to you because the studio is telling me I have to cut it. I said, what? They're telling me we're going to get an X rating. I've got to cut the scene. Or I've got to cut all the blood out. I've got to cut the fingers coming off when the gun goes off. I've got to cut the overhead shot with all the gore and all the, the long camera that goes all, all the way where you took the roof off and shot straight yeah, down. Yeah. And Marty, and when Marty could work himself up in those days, not anymore the way he used to. A little calmer. But Marty could, he's a lot calmer. <laughs> he could so work himself up. And, uh, and so Marty was actually pl plotting murder at that point. And could he get away with it? I won't mention the person no, you wanted please, to no. kill. I won't it do that. It turned out it was all right. But, like I but here's what it turned out. You had a great idea. You explained what you Desaturate the color. He desaturated the color, and the MPAA gave him an R rating. Yeah. 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 The, that's actually that desaturation. I, I love what Oswald Morris and John Huston did in Moby Dick. 
1956. They they used a three strip uh, Technicolor and they did something by uh, you know uh, emphasizing one strip over the other and I had never seen anything quite like it. I was trying to get to that, you know. I wanted the whole film to be that way, um, but I, it uh, you know that that was such an important film in my life because I saw that film in a movie theater and it actually um, the first time I ever consciously wanted to physically um, be part of a movement was when they were killing the whales for the movie. Oh, yeah. And yeah. and I had never seen a whale being killed. And when oh. I went to the movie and I saw those whales being killed, and I knew that the white whale, Moby Dick, was obviously a mechanical whale, but the other whales were real. Yeah. Um, um, I got on a complete tear about that, yeah. which has not yeah. stopped. To no, no, day. I know. I know. You know, this, you know the actor um, who plays Abel. Um, Mark Rylance. Yeah, Mark Rylance. I had no idea who it was, all the way to uh, the very end. Oh, I thought really? it was amazing. The anonymity somehow right. that he um, used uh, a totally different style of acting, different thing, but him, Tom um, Hanks, whom I adore, it's like, well, how many, it's your fourth picture or fifth? This is the fourth, well, the fourth. fourth time I've directed Tom in a film, but we've, we've collaborated on miniseries together as right, producers. Right, right. But, right. Uh, you know, Abel was, when Tom, when we, the first time they worked together was that first scene where Tom introduces himself as Donovan oh, to great. Abel. And uh, after the first take, Tom came out and pulled me aside from, uh, you know, to the to the edge of the set, and he j he just said, "Oh my God, you know, my job is going to be." First, he said, "Oh my God, Mark Rylance, as Tom could do it," and then he said, "You know, my job is going to be not to fall under his spell, because he's so spectacular, being so still. Yeah. I can't take that bait." And match stillness with stillness. I have to, I have to maintain who Donovan was, the bulldog. Yeah, you know. Well, you could see it in Tom's and eyes. And so Tom continued his dogged pursuit of, you know, the truth and and justice and all of that. But there's a great temptation when you're working with an actor of tremendous quiet mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to return yes. with quiet. Yeah. When you're, you know, yeah. and yeah. it was such a tribute to Tom that he consistently kept his character exactly how he originally saw the character. Oh, they were and then you had two completely opposite oh. performances. That's why was the second time seeing it again, just enjoying the performances. And I think about Tom, you know, I always loved Tom. I always wanted to work with him. And uh, you could see in that first scene, he's looking at him. His eyes are working fast. The other guy's like this. Yeah. And he's saying, finally, at one point, he said, you know, they want to electrocute you. Uh -huh. He said, uh, aren't you worried? The guy said, would it help? <laughs> Okay, I'm, all right, I can't go that way. Okay, let me go this way. <laughs> and you could see it every time. That was sort of, it wasn't even, a, it wasn't even like playing chess. It was more like a, a casual game of checkers in the park. Yeah. Because yeah. you can't play chess with a person like uh, Abel, no. the way Mark Rylance played yeah. him. Yeah. You know, yeah. you don't ever want to get a chess board between the, in, yeah. between the two yeah. of you, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, uh, and, but that's what he liked. That's what in real life they, they, he liked so much about Abel. Oh, it's wonderful. Wonderful. And and Mark, you know, as you've seen him on stage, you know, Twelfth Night and yes, Richard the yeah, Third and yeah. Jerusalem, you know, and that's why I cast him in this. And I was kind of amazed that no, I mean, he's played a couple small parts in movies, but never something like this before. And I was kind of struck with why not? Right. I mean, wh I mean, why now for the first time does he have yeah. a major part in a movie? So so and and the other good news about getting people to get to know Mark Wolf Hall is such a spectacular. You know, miniseries. Have you seen Wolf Hall? No. Mark's no, in. Oh my God, it's amazing. Great. 
And um, and Wolf Hall came, you know, he was... Oh, Wolf Hall, of course, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for PBS. And, yeah, yeah. and so it's just another aspect of him. He has so many aspects. And so after the first day of shooting, I pulled him aside, Mark aside. And I said, hey, Mark, would you read a script? And he said, oh, no, I really couldn't because if I read a script, it'll take my attention off of this character. I said, well, can I give you the script to read when you don't have anything better to do? So I gave him my next movie, BFG, The Big Friendly Giant, and not expecting him to read it for at least three months. And about a week later, he came, he said, oh, this is extraordinary. Oh, that's great. But there's no part for me. And I said, yeah, you're the big friendly giant. Really? Do you see me as the big friendly giant? <laughs> because his character is so different in this movie than it is. And so Mark signed on, and he's oh, that's the big friendly giant. That's great. Wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. <laughs> Fantastic. No, it's a real uh, uh, textbook in acting. I mean, between the two of them in those scenes, every scene they're in is just remarkable. Um, but uh, so, you know, and we, we just had a great deal of the, the shooting here in New York. I, I just have to throw this in. Uh, I've, I, I've never done a whole movie in New York, but I've also never done half a movie in New York. And, and it, was, it was one of the best experiences I've ever had working here. It, it, great. It, it really was. Oh, it's yeah, and there's so much there's so much going on right now in the city. There's so much going on on the streets of the city at the different studios and also the different sprouting studios. Yeah, I mean yeah. literally, hey, there's a warehouse. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like Mickey Rudy and Judy Garland, right? Busby Berkeley. Let's hey, let's, let's barn, get yeah. a show on the road. Let's get go into that warehouse and do uh, 18 yeah. episodes or something. But it, it's just incredible shooting here, and I think. And I'm not going to compare, you know, the East Coast to West Coast, except to say in New York, it seems that everybody on the set uh, per, uh, takes the work personally. Mm -hmm. I mean, actually feels like they're part of a creative experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so there's much more esprit de corps. There's much mm -hmm. more when there's a great take. I've not experienced this too much. It, it's happened sometimes, but... After Mark would do a great scene, or Tom Hanks would do a great scene, or Alan Alda, or Amy Ryan... You know, I'd walk out and I have crew members stop and say, "That was great." Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he, yeah. They're yeah. great together. Yeah. You know, yeah. Oh, I can't believe I'm. I'm <laughs> I, I couldn't watch it. I couldn't see it because I'm doing my job. I'm pulling the cable, but I could hear it. It sounded amazing. <laughs> the kind of confidence that gives a director when you've got the crew that organically behind you is you can't pay for that. Now, I've gotten some of my best ideas from assistant directors. I, I have many stories about this, but my favorite story is. I was making Raiders of the Lost Ark, and David Tomlin came over to me. And uh, we were shooting the scene in the classroom where Harrison now is in his tweeds, and he's teaching class. And uh, the, all the girls are all moony-eyed over him, and he's talking about all the hidden burrows and how to do archaeology and all that. And David Tomlin came over to me, and he said, and he says it the way the English only could, in a dry, throwaway way. He said, you see that girl in the first row, the pretty one? And I said, yeah. And he said... Why don't you get a pen and paint love you Great. on yeah. each eyelid and just have her close her eyes and Indy looks and sees she has love you written on her eyelids when she closes them. <laughs> and you know when you hear a good idea how you go nuts, it becomes the greatest yeah. thing you've ever heard? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, we probably shot that 14 minutes after David gave me the idea. Oh, that's wonderful. That's, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's the whole thing here. I mean, did you shoot at Steiner Studio 2? At Steiner's? Yeah, uh, yeah Bridges yeah. Spy shot at Steiner, which yeah, is great. Yeah, yeah. It's great because 
the takeout places are really good. Yes, all I know. Steiner. I know. Oh, wow. I know. Oh, my God. Otto's Tacos. Have you ever been to Otto's Tacos? Yeah, forget it. It's a killer. Oh, forget no, it. you got to watch out. you got to watch out. And my doctor you're said I older. should never go to Otto's Tacos again. No, 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 my don't, cholesterol don't. shot up to... Well, they're crazy. They're all young. They're all young and big people. I can't get through to them on the set because I'm too short. Seriously. <laughs> all the guys, you know, and they're eating those tacos and things. But we did uh, a lot of the um, uh, vinyl out there we're doing. Uh, that vinyl is that uh, TV sh TV thing, yeah. But uh, that had, that's always been the the thing with me doing Goodfellas uh, and uh, so many of the the key grips and the, the sound department and the props. Uh, you know, my mother and father used to be on the set. My mother's in the film, so they were all eating together and cooking together. Everybody was it was more like a family. There was no doubt about it. You know, your mother should have gotten the Oscar. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Especially <laughs> for Goodfellas. <laughs> what a night that was. Oh. It was great. It was one of the easiest things I ever did. I just sat there. I had two cameras, you know. I mean, kind of easy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because she took over and then that was it. So. Because it's me, Marty, and his, his, my son's friends. It's not like a big actor or anything, it's Bobby. You know, that, because she looked at Bobby like one of your buddies. One of my friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just like the kid who comes over to the house. <laughs> and yeah, and Joe too. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah my my kids, uh, you know, they were never impressed by movie stars or actors. They only wanted to know the people I never knew, like Kobe Bryant and you know Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, those were yeah. the people I yeah. never met. Yeah. yeah, that they didn't think I was worth anything if I didn't know them. <laughs> well, that's the scene in the picture too when he calls. With Spartacus in the background, he says, can I say hello to uh, the kid? And, uh, All right, can I say hello to this? Is there anyone who isn't too busy? <laughs> they should know what I'm doing. They have no idea, you know? Well, you know, it's just, just a, you know, you're creating a story, and, you know, you've got to find the humanity somewhere. And it's, yeah. and it's, not, just, it's not just moral humanity. It's the humanity of, of a man who has a family and loves his family and has a job and loves his job. Yeah. And so and we had many more family scenes, actually, in the longer version of Bridge of Spies. But yeah. the movie, you know, the movie tells us what to do with it. We all know that. We're all yeah, in the same business in this room, for sure. And the movie tells us what to do with it. And, and I, I don't ever blame myself or feel guilty when I cut out a, 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 some really good scenes. Because the movie says, it was great on the day, but it doesn't belong with me. I know. You know, it's not know. really I know. It's telling so, the story. It's so upsetting, but it's, uh, it's that fear of... Uh, seeing the picture for the first time, put, to, put together, quote unquote, yes. you know, uh, kind of sometimes thrown together, sometimes actually almost halfway there. And then uh, it was, I think it was departed, well, I was with Thelma and I said, all right, let's put this thing together. I don't know, we worked on it for months. And I, I, I'm getting, it's getting harder for me to look at rushes too, because the, 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 sh the shoots are pretty long, you know? And, and so um, we finally put it together and I uh, looked at her with her in the screening room upstairs and, after it was over, I think it was like almost three hours, I looked at her, I said, don't show this to anyone. Lock the doors. And I did for six weeks, they were furious. The backers were going in the studio, we've got to see, we've got to come into the thing. Don't answer the phone, don't do anything. We rearranged the entire picture. Then we looked at it again, then recut it again, then had two people come in to start. But it was so shocking. Uh, that and okay, usually it's a George Lucas said if, if the first cut is good you're in trouble. Yeah, he said a I lot know. of things. Yeah. I know, I know, 
when, when I made Close Encounters, my I had I used to take my eight millimeter camera everywhere with me, and my editor filmed me reacting to my first cut of Close Encounters, and he, he the camera pans around, and they couldn't find me. I actually crawled under the chair in the theater. <laughs> I was hiding under the seat, squeezed in there. It was such a bad first cut. Anyway. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what, aside from saying that it's a wonderful film and I'm honored to be here again with you doing this stuff. Um, this is the first time we've done this, by the way. Oh, I think. This is it? our first Q&A. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know, I know. But we could go on for a while. <laughs> we've tried. I tried to do one for Marty on The Departed, and I was shooting at the time, so it's like oh, this was... Right. This yeah. was... I'm so glad no, you did this, no, no, Marty. This is, this is such a, a pleasure to be here with you. Terrific film, and, uh, you know... All the other stuff we can go through, but I know it's a late night. <laughs> Thank you all for coming. Thank, Thank, you. You. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you for listening to the highlights of this talk. If you want to hear every word shared between these two legends, you can watch video of the entire Q&A on our website at dga.org events. On our website, you can watch all of our recent filmmaker Q&As, including another interview with Mr. Spielberg, conducted in Los Angeles by Paul Thomas Anderson, the director of Boogie Nights and There Will Be Blood. We also launched The Director's Cut with a bonus episode of Guillermo del Toro, the director and visionary mind behind the scary and beautiful Crimson Peak, discussing his newest film along with a longtime friend, Alejandro González Iñárritu the director of Birdman and the most recent winner of the DGA Award for Outstanding Achievement in Feature Films, as well as Best Director at last year's Academy Awards. If you enjoy The Director's Cut, please subscribe to it on iTunes or our SoundCloud page so you won't miss an episode. This podcast is brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. Music is produced by Dan Wally. Coming up next week, Angelina Jolie-Pitt will talk about directing her third feature film, By the Sea the story of a couple trying to rekindle their dormant relationship while on a vacation in an idyllic French seaside resort, starring her and Brad Pitt. We hope you hear from us then.